Welcome to Marketing Talks, a podcast that unpacks the careers of marketing leaders by providing insight on how they are growing the brands and organizations they are a part of. Learn practical tips and strategies on how you can grow within marketing while avoiding mistakes along the way. Hey everybody, my name is Jonathan Kaur, and in today's Marketing Talk, I have the pleasure of speaking to the Vice, Vice President of Strategy for Annuitus, a strategic demand generation agency working with amazing companies like Google and Airbnb. My guest today, Aaron Kelly, is a strategic marketing leader with 14 plus years of experience creating and optimizing growth and driving digital marketing programs for 20 plus B2B, B2C and nonprofit organizations. Thanks for hopping on this call, Aaron. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's kick this off right away. So right now we are, before this, uh, before we actually hit record or actually started this podcast, I was asking myself, okay, how long have we been in pandemic? It feels like it's been a few months, but it uh, looks like we're reaching almost the end of six months, which is incredible. So my first question to you is, um, how are you navigating? How are you doing with the current uh, pandemic, you as an individual and also two within your role uh, within your company? Yeah, as an individual, uh, pretty good. I I've admittedly have some good days and bad days, just wanting to make sense of it all and wanting to have some return to normalcy, but then understanding that really the fact that things could always change and be upended at any time is probably what is the new normal and that's okay right so just trying to take it one day at a time and and not get too caught up in any one thing um as far as work is concerned work is still happening it's still there which is great um, you know, and, and there's some, some good things to that has come about, I think, as a result of this pandemic. It has, I think, freed us to become what somewhat more creative than maybe we were previously. Like it's kind of a, an all hands on deck situation for some folks. And so it's like, hey, I've always had this idea that I wanted to try to engage more people, um, but it's a non-traditional maybe marketing technique or non-traditional in terms of B2B demand gen. And it's really, you know, saying, hey, let's let's give it a go. And so I've seen that be a really positive thing um, in terms of the, the clients that we work with, because we take the point of view of strategic demand. It gives us the ability to very quickly pivot and put content out there uh, that's already in a framework. So it's not such a big shift because they're already on the path or they've already done the digital transformation. And so that's made it a lot easier. So, so you mentioned uh, prior to talking about your clients, you said that you're trying a few different things out like that would normally be maybe a little bit more unconventional. Would you mind giving an example uh, of, of what that looks like right now? Yeah. So perhaps, you know, instead of continually relying on form submits, maybe including just a digital only perspective for folks. Um, you know, we, we look at an intent behavior in terms of the buying journey always as like the best indicator is always, you know, behavior. Absolutely. But we still have to know who we're talking to and gather bits of information. But we're really pushing to ask, like, how much do we really need? How much do we really need to ask? 
also different formats. You know, there was a study recently done where, you know, looking at how content consumption and different types of media consumption has changed. And so you can think about live streams, like live streams on LinkedIn and Facebook and the like, but how do you plug that into a demand gen model? Like how would you utilize that as an acquisition channel, right? So these are other areas that, you know, we can explore and have maybe more creativity with because we don't have the live events and people are being oversaturated with a lot of noise via email and some of the other, you know, uh, available channels that we have to us at this point. Given the pandemic, it was completely out of the left field. Like we didn't know, like this is very, nobody planned for this. And so it's good to hear stories like yours, specifically how you guys are pivoting or adjusting specifically with the given pandemic and also being willing to share because I'm, you know, knowledge is always a, something great to share. So to segue this conversation, um, obviously I'd love to take people through and walk them uh, briefly through your career, but usually one of the starting points where I start this conversation at is uh, education or specifically your undergrad. And so um, you received your uh, bachelor's in psychology and arts. So obviously uh, from a high level view, and, and actually us talking before this, before we actually started hitting officially record on this podcast, you had mentioned um, marketing wasn't specifically your trajectory, uh, but we, we did talk about how there is a correlation between marketing and psychology. They, they play hand in hand. But I'm curious, back then, how, like why psychology, why arts, and how did you eventually land in marketing? Mm-hmm. Great question. Uh, one I have pondered myself many a time. Uh, so psychology, I was just very interested in why people make the decisions that they make and why people have the behaviors that they do. And so everything from looking at, you know, the anatomy and physiology of brain chemistry and how that affects behavior, you know, when you're thinking about psychology and psychiatry and specifics, but then even in my own life, it was really interesting, the whole nature versus nurture conversation, right? So how does emotion and how does environment play into decision making uh, and the like? And so my goal was actually to go on to graduate school and I get my master's in social work and become a social worker. That was the next step for me. Um, However, that didn't happen mainly because um, I made the move from the East Coast to the West Coast at that time. And I started working in community mental health and um, It was fantastic. I enjoyed it very much, but then moved to a different organization that provided um, developmental disabilities or folks with developmental disabilities, job training and job skills. And I had a, a marketing and PR role, which was very focused on fundraising and events and that type of thing. Um, and so we had a Google grant because we were a nonprofit organization. And that meant we got to have a Google AdWords account um, and be able to utilize it. And so that was my first kind of taste of anything to do with online marketing. And then we had a, uh, as a result of having the Google grant, we were SEM PDX's charity of choice. And so they helped us kind of ramp that up and get it up and going. And the fact that you could you know, have different ad creative up and you could see the results by what would people would click on and all of that. It just blew my mind and I thought it was just the coolest thing. So I, I couldn't wait to learn more and do more. And soon after that, I transitioned over into, you know, the corporate world working for a software company here in Oregon doing online marketing. 
And what's interesting is, you know, I look back now and I can see the connection between a psychology degree, again, just really wanting to understand why people do what they do and what makes them make the certain choice that they do. And that curiosity has, you know, continued to serve me throughout my career. So would you mind sharing why you decided to uh, transition from a nonprofit into more of a corporate type role? What was the decision making or what was that process for you specifically? Well, for me, I had a, a network of, of folks that I knew here in town and had, you know, been talking about how cool I thought this, you know, Google AdWords was and how I wanted to know more about it. And um, really, the nonprofit sector was fantastic and great. And a large part of my heart is still there. But the speed and at which change can be made and the budget available and just the more room for, I'll say, experimentation led me to uh, software. And so that, that to me was kind of the the shiny object at the time. And I was, you know, early on in my career and wanted the, the chance to learn something that I hadn't been exposed to before. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the pull for me. Again, just being, having a, a natural curiosity, uh, talking to people about it, making connections, and then pursuing that. So uh, specifically with tech, given how f fast things change, uh, I would say, especially now with the given pandemic, um, let's assume there's a marketer in finance or some other, maybe it is a nonprofit and let's say they, they do want to go more of the tech route. Uh, you articulated basically saying, you know, networking was really beneficial for you. Are there any other like, uh, tips or advice you would give as far as how to pivot maybe into tech specifically to try and I guess, scratch the edge of being in a fast paced, ever changing environment? You know, that's a good question. Uh, networking really did it for me. I, in, while I was making the transition, I sat on a board for the Community Nonprofit Resource Group of Portland, specifically in the marketing function. Um, and that was helpful because I got to connect with more people in the nonprofit sector, but then you meet people through other people and it just kind of this, your network kind of grows. Obviously with the pandemic that has changed somewhat um, and back then uh, we didn't have LinkedIn and I don't think it was around yet or it was just an idea perhaps in someone's mind um, and so now I think a lot of that interaction has moved online right so learn from other people get involved um, comment and you know create these relationships digitally until you can take them in real life that's that's really good to hear, and honestly, that that's been very true, specifically for me within this podcast process. Is you know, obviously meeting great people like you, and obviously Angela, which is a, a, a close friend of of yours, and so just being able to like expand your network and just get to know each other for sure on a human level, obviously a professional level has uh, been very insightful for me and, and, and I 100% resonate with the networking piece. So um, you've been an in-house marketer. Uh, I, I believe it was a few companies, but you also have now have uh, and have remained in the agency space for a bit now. And so I'm, I'm curious, how has your experience as an in-house marketer improved your ability to work and connect with other in-house marketers uh, now being on the agency side? Oh, absolutely. 100% has it helped. Um, and I think it's because I've been in the seat of an in-house marketer. I understand the challenges 
when you have objectives and goals that you are on the line for, when you have your your clients, which is essentially the sales organization, product marketing, uh, senior level executives, et cetera. I know what that that pressure can be like. Uh, and I also know some of the, the hurdles that you can experience with trying to work across you know, uh, cross-functional teams and, and that. And I think that was helpful in understanding when I came over to the agency side and we're looking at results of our programs, you know, beyond vanity metrics and really looking at, you know, um, ROI as well as, you know, other sales lift and, and, um, and pipeline and such, looking at the data and saying, that's great. What are the actions that we can take from this because just looking at this dashboard doesn't do anyone any good, right? We have to have an actionable decision from it. And my work being an in-house marketer for a long time, that's always the question that we would ask. Great. That's a fantastic, pretty looking report. What does it mean? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with it? And so that's, that's probably the number one thing um, that's been helpful for me. No, yeah, yeah, that, that that makes total sense. And for for me, I ha I for sure I, I have a background in being an in-house marketer as well. And like you mentioned, there's uh it's a lot more involved when you got other decision makers in the equation. So being able to be empathetic and understanding and like you meant like mentioned is communicating and then also to articulating the action plan and ultimately implementing it from start to finish is very uh efficient and, and effective for sure. So uh, you started off, I, I can't remember if it was an online marketing manager role or something like that uh, within the software company, but you've worked your way up and now you're currently the uh, VP of strategy at a strategic demand gen uh, agency. Uh, how and why did you end up? Cause, so, so there's many, there's many paths in marketing. Like there's so many, like, uh, <laughs> it, like, yeah, so many paths in marketing. And so I'm curious, why did you end up going down the demand gen specific route? Yeah, that's kind of a happy accident as well. Um, at the time, being the online marketing manager, just like it sounds, I, I was responsible for all of the, the digital advertising campaigns that we ran. At the same time, we also had a marketing automation platform. And because it was technology uh, and, and tech software, it was an early adopter space, you know, so we had all the bells and whistles of, the, of some of the latest things, but we weren't really utilizing it in a way that I would say was very strategic. We were sending email, we were, you know, doing a few different things in terms of um, its capabilities, but there was so much more that it could do. And that's what I got to experiment with. So my, I, my job shifted a bit within the same company from just running the display and advertising campaigns, which was interesting to know what resonated with people at the top of the funnel, right? What's going to engage with them and help get them into the system. And then really being the power user of the marketing automation platform, um, that gave me an operations uh, hat that I got to wear. So I had the acquisition and I have the operations. Um, and that's, that's kind of where things started to shift, right? Uh, we created a, um, a program, which now I look back for the time and I'm thinking, wow, like that's pretty amazing. We created these personalized microsites utilizing what was known about behavior from folks, what they looked at so that we could serve up basically a mini microsite that's tailored to your preferences and has a bunch of content, both original as well as, you know, um, streamed in from the web, uh, all across the web. And that was really cool. 
Um, and then that experience, I met someone, Adam Needles, who wrote um, Balancing the Demand Gen Equation at an online marketing summit. Again, networking, right? And we stayed in touch. And then he left. Um, I believe he was at Silver Pop at that time. And then he left and joined uh, an agency in the Bay Area called Left Brain. And when they were looking at other folks who could kind of come on board and, you know, run demand gen for, for these client projects, he thought of me. And so we ended up connecting and then that's kind of how I transitioned over to the agency side, but how demand gen. So that's kind of how that happened. But what I like about it, especially in terms of strategic demand is you're not really just relegated to one thing. Like you touch so many different areas, you know, you have the creative, right? You have acquisition, you're involved with marketing operations, you're involved with sales operations, you're involved with revenue operations, you're involved with product marketing, pretty much anything that touches the customer, customer journey in a strategic demand perspective you're going to be involved in and need to know something about you know everything from web UX and so on and so forth so uh, and now with the advance of you know AI and uh, the influx of data that we have data visualization and being able to translate that data into usable insights is a whole nother area that has really really exploded over the past few years so to me I feel like I get to do so many things because I've picked demand gen. Yeah, no, that, that that's very interesting that you you mentioned all those pieces. So specifically with uh, annuitus, um, how do you? So, so, so when we were talking before this, I was asking a clarifying question: if annuitus is a demand gen agency, and you clarify it's a, it's a strategic demand gen uh, agency, and I'm I'm curious, would you mind? sharing us the differentiators on why that approach versus a regular demand gen or de demand marketing approach? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that really separates strategic demand from demand gen or what I find a lot of people, what used to be lead gen kind of morphed into demand gen, but it's really just how they want to label it at that point. Um, but strategic demand is really looking at your people your process, your content, and your technology, and aligning all of those factors to support the buyer in their journey, right? And a lot of times, you'll, you can know if it's not strategic, if it's uh, what we call random acts of marketing. So it's like you have this campaign for this many weeks, then we're going to run this campaign, then we have this product launch, so we're going to push this product. And it's very um, push versus pull. And it's also, if you find that you're doing a lot of spray and pray techniques where you're just trying to get as many people to respond as you possibly can, and it's not really um, strategic in the way that you haven't thought about it in the whole customer journey. You might be thinking, oh, we have a, like, we're looking at just the first touch. We know that people who respond to this campaign eventually go on to be closed one or this was the last touch versus really there are so many different um, touch points and so many different people involved in a complex purchase that really being able to understand that entire journey and how it works together and be at the right place at the right time mm -hmm. that's what makes it strategic so when you have something like COVID happen or you have uh, you know any other kind of disruptive event, it's not really having to pivot and throw everything out the window because you have this framework that you can just plug your new content 
or your new way to communicate and have a dialogue with the buyer, just plug it right in and you're on your way. So you mentioned uh, one of the reasons why you like demand gen is because it's in, you're so involved in so many other functions within the context of a business. What types of people do well in demand generation type roles? And also too, what types of people don't do well in that type of role? Hmm. That's a good question. So definitely curios- uh, curiosity, right? So folks that are curious, folks that to have a question and need it to be answered. And in that case, you need to be very tenacious because a lot of times you're not going to get the answer that you seek. You might get data or information that's conflicting with what you thought. You might have to dig a little bit deeper. So I think being able to have a question um, and continually come back to it, be service-minded uh, as well. So curiosity, service-minded, and tenacious, I would say those are kind of like those three, three big ones. Um, and so in, if it would be, if somebody's not good at it, I don't, I don't know, because I feel like everybody brings a unique perspective to the table and there's probably an area of demand gen that you could specialize in that might be good. So for example, um, you know, if you're not really wanting to be out there necessarily on the front lines, if you will, there's, there's a lot of operations and technology that you can plug yourself into and, and be part of the whole demand gen cycle, if you will. But I would say, you know, if you give up <laughs> easily or get frustrated easily, so that's the thing, right? Not everything works 100% of the time. Um, you know, we have these very educated ideas and, and hypotheses about the results we're going to get or how the program's going to perform. And then, you know, we have to see if it works and then go back to the drawing board. So I would say if you're change averse, probably not the right field for you. If you're a technophobe, probably not the right field for you. Uh, And if you get, uh, if you give up easily, I would say maybe not the right field. So do you think, uh, so there's like, let's say the creative marketer and the more technical marketer, do you think uh, both do well in the context of demand gen or do you think uh, it leans towards one side more than the other? I think they're both needed, you know, and I, I think it, it, they're, they're really both two very important parts of, of the, of the pie because you, on one hand, you need the plan, the strategy, you need the creative, you need um, a good UX, you need all of that, but then it's the technology that enables the strategy. So technology in and of itself is not a strategy, but it's what enables it. So it's both are extremely important. Well said. So specifically with, within the agency space, I, I was actually looking at your LinkedIn when I was doing research and preparation for this conversation. And one of the Com, uh, so I, I went down to your recommendations. I usually like to go down to how, what people say about, you know, like having worked with you in the past. And one of the common trends that I noticed was your ability to articulate what you're looking at doing for a, a company or organization, and then also to being involved in the process of actually executing the strategy. The, the, the part I want to focus on a little bit more is specifically the communication piece. So from an agency side, um, how important and how significant has it been in your career and what advice would you give to marketers, uh, in the agency space when looking at communicating and articulating what they're looking at doing within, uh, brands and organizations that they're a part of? Uh, that's, that's 
Yeah, great question. So first off, it's very important. Uh, and change management ends up being 99% of the work that is the, the most challenging, I would say. Because I think if you went to any executive at any company and said, you need to orchestrate your marketing to support the buyer journey, nobody is going to say you're wrong. Everybody's going to agree with you, right? It makes complete sense. But getting there is a whole nother story. And oftentimes when it comes time to dig your heels in uh, and everything starts to get real, change is hard. And it's helping folks move from the, the previous state to the to be state and stay on track and not really get disillusioned or frustrated because you're going to have folks who are like, yes, this is awesome. I can't wait to do this. And this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And then you're going to have people who really are just fine with the way things have been and might be a little bit more resistant to getting over those hurdles and having to change their behaviors that may be very ingrained. Uh, and then you might have people who have different points of view. And so one of the things that we have found and I have found in particular is such a great equalizer in getting folks on the same page is in terms of your numbers and your goals. If you're tying everything back to a marketing funnel or what we have is a, a quantitative model where here, here's the number that we want to hit in terms of, of revenue or in terms of growth, uh, here's how we're going to get there and have everybody agree to that and be on the same page. And then when it comes to these changes and making these decisions, it's like, hey, I understand what you're saying, but in order to get here, we're going to need to change ABC and then possibly look at X and Y, you know, so that helps bring everyone together because they're in, in agreement because one, they can see, Hey, this is part of our growth plan and our growth strategy and B this is going to support the customer. Right? So that's the second part, right? In addition to growth, people want a good customer experience, a good customer journey, and everybody can agree on that. So I think it's just this, you know, re and, and it's not a one and done process. That's the other important thing. You don't have one meeting about, how we're going to communicate this or one meeting about it. It's an ongoing thing. It's always reminding folks because, you know, transformation can be quick, but, you know, we're still talking, you know, a period of, of six months to a year. Yeah, that's, that's really good. It sounds like an art. And honestly, it sounds like you have it down. Like I'm sure there's always areas to improve, but it sounds like, uh, you've learned how to improve and, and obviously given, you know, the recommendations on LinkedIn, it's, it's very evident that, you know, you, you have this down. And so it's, it's always good to get feedback on communication because that's over communicating. I, I would say is probably better than under communicating exactly. <laughs> and improving over time. And it keeps that relationship. So the most common uh, relationship that we see that has, and I'm sure it's no secret in our business is the disconnection between you know marketing and sales and not only are you having an environment to continually remind people but you're creating an environment where the two groups can openly talk to one another as well and that was always going to say so it's getting everybody on the same page and then keeping them there yep sales and alignment and sales enablements very important especially hearing having heard a lot of more stories about it working really well and not working well in certain organizations. So, so you've been at, uh, annuitus since like 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, this is less about specifically your role marketing. Uh, 
why have you remained there for so long, specifically within that agency and obviously have experienced tremendous growth within the context of that agency? Yeah. Uh, so the people, number one, uh, we aren't a large group, but we're a very small, close knit family. And a lot of us have been here for years upon years at this point. And so that's just one thing that has always kept me as well. Um, obviously the ability to continually grow and expand, uh, if you can, you know, I hate this a little bit cheesy, but if you can dream it, you can do it at Annuitas in a way. Um, obviously we have client work that we have to get done, but the, uh, freedom that we're given to innovate as well as, um, expand our role and explore items that we're interested in exploring and educate ourselves on. Like we, we have a lot of freedom to do that and new ideas are always welcome. And so I think that's part of it is that it's not static. Um, and it's been a period of continual, of t continual growth, both for me in my career, as well as uh, us as an agency growing together. Yeah. And, and, and seeing that, you know, you're a VP of strategy within a, an agency, you know, I'm sure the workload and all this, you know, other aspects as specifically for your job function is probably a lot compared to maybe a more entry level role. And so uh, one of the things I've heard throughout this pandemic is some people have been noticing that they've been working a lot more than usual because they're working at home because home is work, work is home. And so my, my question to you is, uh, how are you navigating work-life balance specifically in this pandemic type, you know, uh, era or like season that we're currently in? Yeah, it's a little bit of ebb and flow. Like there are times where you're going to be working a little bit more, for example, launching certain phases of a project it's going to be all hands on deck, uh, but our company is very progressive in the sense that this summer um, they have provided us, you know, some summer Fridays, which is amazing. So it's not the whole day off, but we get afternoons off um, every other Friday for the summer. And so I think they're recognizing, granted, if you have something that you have to get done or your client calls you, you're going to pick up the phone. Like that's just who we are. But for the most part, if it's kind of quiet and you can shut it down, we've been given the space to do that. And so I think that's just been a, a really, you know, different kind of progressive way to think about our own mental health and kind of trying to proactively give us some of our time back um, in recognizing that, yeah, we're all kind of doing double duty in many different ways throughout this pandemic. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm glad you share that. So uh, the last question before I transition to the last rapid fire questions for this interview is if you had a chance today to sit down with Aaron back post recently post-grad, like, uh, obviously graduate in psychology and arts, what advice would you give her based off of everything you've learned and know now? Oh gosh, I probably would have learned to code. I would have said, learn to code, learn to code. And I would probably say, you know, ask more questions, be more, even more curious than, than you were. But other than that, I think I would keep it just the same. That's always great to hear. Great advice there. So I'm going to transition now into the last part, which is a rapid fire questions. My first question to you is, what is your current favorite marketing tool or software that you're using? So it's not just a marketing tool, but I would say Tableau uh, for data visualization and looking at all of our marketing results. That's, that's probably my number one at the moment. 
Awesome. And what is uh, what has been a favorite online marketing course that you've taken uh, throughout your career that has been the most significant? So I don't actually have one. Um, I am an experiential learner. I learn best kind of in the classroom, immersed in it, yes. But there is one that I am looking at and have gone through the process of applying for. I haven't taken it yet, but it's very interesting. It's called The Future School. Uh, and it's by, by Kedge. And so that is coming up in October for the United States. It was one I was actually thinking, again, doing in person, but now that things have pivoted towards being online, this might be my very first online course ever. <laughs> Embarrassed to say, but it's true. It's true. Don't be, don't be. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of marketers who say I have it in life. They say experience, they say doing it, making it happen. I think that's the best way to learn. Um, I, I will make a note for myself in the future because this is honestly one of the, the topics that I love unpacking is, is uh, you know, individuals who, ha who don't traditionally have a background in marketing, didn't go to school for it, eventually ending up in marketing and obviously progressing within their roles is, it's it, it just seeing like, you know, it, there is no one way to do it. You don't need all, you don't need to know everything about everything in order to get started in marketing. And that's honestly what I've learned to love. And also too, it's expanding. So maybe what you're learning now, like I think about a Google course, like let's say analytics, which I recently took, it's like, you know, they have you take it every, I think year, or every other, every other year, retake it because there's a lot of new information that, you know, that, that you probably don't know that has evolved or changed if you haven't run into that yet. So I uh, always love hearing stories like, like what you're saying is, it's, it may be a little embarrassing, but honestly, it's, it's not. It's encouraging, I would say, to me specifically because yeah. you're making it happen. And I would say, and that was the question, like I didn't have a favorite one, but when I was up and coming, you know, whatever tools or software or programs that you run, if they're worth their salt, they have training and education to support your journey in the use of that product. And honestly, that's where a lot of your, your training and knowledge will come from. Um, so definitely agree with that. Awesome. So, uh, the second to last question in the rapid fire questions is what has been your favorite business or marketing book that you've read up to this point? So the one that I highly recommend is called flawless consulting, uh, by, uh, Peter Brook. And this book, what I like about it is it doesn't matter what kind of consulting that you're doing. It's about getting folks on board with your idea. And it's about, being able to identify when people are resistant to change. And as we know, <laughs> it's all about making the change at the end of the day. So I find it extremely useful. I think it'd be great for anybody who's in an agency or consulting position, even if you're in-house and you're trying to you know, get people on board with your ideas. Great. That sounds like a great book. I'll for sure be looking into reading that one. So now last question is, who is your favorite marketer, either someone you've worked with closely or someone you've admired from afar? Oh, someone I've admired from afar, Avinash Kaushik. Uh, he is fantastic. He makes data fun. I look forward to his newsletter every week. Don't miss anything he puts out. Awesome. Yep. I had another guest who'd said the same exact, uh, exact marketer. Yep. <laughs> so if, if people are interested in learning more about what you do and connecting with you, it sounds like you're very open to networking still, even though you you're still growing within your role, where are the best or, uh, yeah, what are the best platforms for people to connect with you on? 
Uh, right now, LinkedIn is the, the best platform for that. And then if they want to learn more about annuitus and strategic demand, there's, of course, our website as well. And if anybody does want to connect, just when you send me the invite on LinkedIn, just make sure you mention that it was here. And then I'll make sure to receive that invitation gratefully. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you very much, Aaron, for coming on, sharing your knowledge, knowledge, experience, resources, and really just your career with me in the marketing community. It was a pleasure. It was so nice chatting with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show to receive more content like today's episode.